Today's episode is sponsored by SparkTrust, videos that spark connection. Hello and welcome to Cuadros' Corner. My name is Carlos and I'm an avid lover of films, stories, and good conversations. Today, I virtually talked with one of Los Angeles' new upcoming directors, P.M. Lipscomb. Having had started his journey almost 2,265 miles from California in Ohio, he has quite a story behind his unique filmmaking breakthrough. Now, before we begin, please do me a favor and tell your friends to subscribe to this podcast. Your support and word of mouth will help in growing and bringing you more stories. Now, without further ado, let's begin. You're actually one of the few filmmakers to have come to... Uh... Los Angeles, you actually got a, a, a budget to work with and, and you made a production and and can you just tell me a little bit about that journey? Yeah, I mean, uh, making films back in Ohio was an isolating thing because there wasn't a ton of filmmakers around and the ones that were around, they weren't like helping each other, you know, as much as you might think. Um, I mean, we'd help each other here and there, but at the end of the day, it was a small pond, you know, a small little puddle, basically. So I tend to make the films back in Ohio. I did all the jobs and um, coming out to Los Angeles was a completely different situation for me because in Clifton, Cincinnati, where I would make the majority of the work that I did back in Ohio, um, I could walk into any store, any coffee shop. I even took my camera into a bank and was filming myself at the teller for a scene yeah. and didn't need any kind of permits, you know? And then you come out to California and it's completely the opposite. You yeah. can't walk anywhere with a camera without somebody wanting to know what you're doing or, you know, is there money? Is there a way for them to make money off of you? We even had scenes for this last picture I did clowning where a neighbor was so well-versed with, getting the little permits where they can't park that she called the producers and hounded them for a couple of weeks while we were shooting trying to get any kind of money she could from us <laughs> unfortunately for her it was such a tiny budget we barely had any money to do any of it anyways so there was no extra money um but she would have thought the opposite but yeah so coming out here is, is different you know another thing is i think most small towns where you're making films uh, or small, smaller cities, you meet a lot of filmmakers and they all wanna be directors. But coming to Los Angeles, you meet a lot of people that have their jobs on set that they really wanna do. Like I've met script supervisors here that that's all they've ever wanted to do. So you can really build out your film set in a completely different way you know with a lot of professionals that are actually hungry to make that set work really really well no, i didn't come straight to los angeles so i went to san francisco for a couple of years okay okay um and up there i ended up working at a film school for a little bit of time i made a fake resume and got myself into that job uh i just saw it you know randomly on the internet being advertised as a job available i hadn't gone to to film school or anything so I thought, oh, this is a good back way in. I can go there and start working with 16 millimeter film stock, you know, working with students and teaching them to uh, edit 16 millimeter film and um, got that job, did that for a while. And then. So you just sneaked your way in there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was uh, it was a unique experience. And it, for me, it felt like my final kind of the final, let's say, 
quarter or semester to my own film education. So was yeah. it like a like a like a film school or like a university? What what was it? Uh, it was a film school, so it, it it was a university, and they had a lot of different majors. And then I was in their film program um, as a a teacher slash helping different kinds of departments out. But there's different moments where I was teaching editing and certain yeah. other elements. But uh, but yeah, it, it 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 was an interesting experience. And then inevitably, if you want to do narrative based work. Yeah. with other people's money getting to hollywood or new york is probably going to be the two and san francisco is mainly documentary filmmakers and experimental filmmakers that i was surrounded by now yeah there was a lot of people that want to do narrative work up in san francisco but it just you know it's mainly the tech industry so but all the money's down here in la and uh over in new york yeah but Landing in Los Angeles was interesting because when I would drive down here to find a job, I knew immediately I have to find a small rental house where I can be one of the only people working there, a little independent spot, and then I could use all of their equipment for free. So I would Google all these rental houses and I came here and ended up meeting Los Angeles camera rentals. And uh, which is where I met you, which is where we met. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and almost all my connections came from that specific job. And uh, um, back when I was in Los Angeles, uh, I was seeing all these opportunities um, opening up for you. And I remember one of the things that you told me that was very fundamental, uh, which is my next question, what is or what are some of the fundamental things that opened up these opportunities for you and one of the one of those that i remember you talking to me about was networking and talking to people and getting to know people um is that still one of the fundamental things or do you have a couple more can you talk a little bit more about that well you know networking is going to get you a certain distance right networking will get you onto a set now in what capacity would be the question mark you know, you might meet a lot of people in a very short span of time and start doing a lot of jobs. But I think the thing that helped me the most at this point in my life is April 23rd, 2006, I started making films. And on that day, though, I was just writing. I didn't have a camera or anything like that. So I made films for years and then came to Los Angeles, which I think was a huge difference because when I would network, which is pivotal, it wasn't me starting from the bottom. I had already made a bunch of films. I had already learned all the different jobs on set. So I was, you know, also too, with networking, there's a fundamental misconception. When people think about networking, they think to themselves, oh i need to find something i can get from this person you should be doing the opposite you should be figuring out what you can do for them yeah. what 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 is missing in their arsenal that you can provide whether it's being a pa or one point i was a first ad on a, a small little show that was going on and just kind of being able to fit into certain kinds of cracks you know and so with that kind of philosophy of being wondering what they need you know, you're not trying to think, what can I get from them? So you're legitimately curious and then just be open about what you're doing. You know, I think the biggest, I think one of the largest mishaps, a lot of people don't talk about what they want to do enough. 
you know, or they don't talk about the stuff that they've created or what they're writing currently. You know, so I think that's a big, I think, I, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, if you want to, whatever it is that you want to do, you should be doing it all the time for no money. You know, just do it for fun, do it on your own, read about it, watch interviews, go to bed, listening to podcasts where people are talking about it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like, burn it into your mind. And then no matter what, when you open your mouth, it's going to come out. Nice. So then um, uh, what you're saying is that instead of thinking of networking as uh, getting something from someone is offering something that you know how to do and helping others. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, if you have wealth, spread it. You know, that's, that's an important element, I think, in life. Uh, and if you do spread the wealth, well, um, inevitably, you're going to be networking. Inevitably, you're going to be meeting lots of people. And then be open about talking about what it is you're passionate about and what it is you're working on. You know, I mean, I always talk about all the scripts I'm writing to whoever will listen, yeah. even in the line at a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, uh, and I think at the end of the day, David O. Russell said that he would pitch his scripts to anyone that would let him pitch them and said, don't worry about anybody stealing your ideas because everybody thinks they have an idea better than yours anyways. <laughs> I think there's something true about that. You know, I think there's something true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, that's funny you say that because I remember my college professor, uh, he would kind of like say the complete opposite of that. He said he, he, was, um, he was a writer himself and he would always be like, don't tell your stories to people because they might steal it. But it's interesting that you're saying the <laughs> the opposite of that because it's true. I mean, uh, most people have um, like a mind of their own as far as like this story is going to be the best, and you know, once I tell it, it's going to be huge. And um, I don't know how much you could talk about the movie that you that you made that you directed, um, Clowning. Can you talk to us a bit about about that? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Let me let me say one thing about the professor. <laughs> Uh, where, where, where was the professor teaching without saying any names, but like, where was that person teaching at? He's over here in South Texas where I went to college at, um, the, the, well, here, well, here without going too far into names, just because we don't want to, he actually, uh, worked in LA on, on, um, Star Trek, the series. He was a writer in one of the, yeah. So he, he, he was probably the most, uh, uh accomplished of our, uh, film professors. And then yet he's telling you not to tell people your ideas. I mean, he said it jokingly. Uh, I, I, you know, he, he was a type of person that the way he would teach, like he, yeah. he says some things and you don't know whether to take it seriously because he jokes around a lot. And um, yeah, but uh, I, I don't know how serious he was, but he was always, uh, you know, saying that, uh, you know, don't, don't say your ideas. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a reason why some people end up, you know, not having that career. And I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, it's like if, you, if you're too precious, then you're not even allowing other things to birth inside your mind. You know, we're, 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 we're built up of so much stardust and we're, you know, we're create. I mean, there's so much flowing through everyone. Everyone's creative. Everyone has an imagination. 
it's like a muscle, you know, if people think about working out and needing to get their body fit, well, the imagination is the same thing. You got to flex it, you know, and you got to be able to do that constantly, which is why I'm doing more than making movies. I'm constantly like, you know, trying to figure out other ways to flex that imagination because sometimes movies are larger scopes and take longer to, uh, to build out. Mm-hmm. But you're asking about clowning. So clowning is a film about a hippie pacifist named Dante who makes a lip balm called Mama Earth and his girlfriend Crystal's pregnant and he's not a nine to five kind of guy. So he's trying to find any kind of jobs. His, his uh, lip balm company's not doing well. So he ends up becoming a clown for hire. And before you know it, he's wrapped up in a murder plot and trying to prove his innocence. And so it goes back to the neo-noir genre of it all. And that film, it got held up because of the pandemic, unfortunately. We were in the process of pushing that picture out. The pandemic happened. And then it kind of enclosed on itself for a year, um, as did a lot of productions. And um, I want to ask you a little bit more about uh, the process of working with uh, the crew and the producers and all these people that were involved, because it's it's a it's a big difference working by yourself in a in a in a self-produced short uh, and then working with a relatively large budget uh, and having the responsibility of not only being uh, the the creative the creative director the the side of uh, the creative stuff, but also the investments and taking care of your crew and actors. Can you talk to me a little bit about that experience of working with uh, a, a crew and 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 all these people behind you um, in Los Angeles? Well, you know, I'll say this first and foremost: clowning was a 17-day shoot where we shot 120 pages. So. Usually people shoot three, four pages a day at the most. We were, we were having to shoot eight to 10 to 12 pages sometimes. So it was, it was a difficult experience, but here's, here's the thing. Working with a crew is amazing in the context that as long as you are projecting your ideas clear enough, you're going to move at a fast pace. But, you know, there's such a difference between every crew, you know, I mean, the, the, the stuff I never dealt with before clowning was the interpersonal situations where some people might not get along with others behind the camera. And it happened infrequently. It only happened a couple of times, but again, only 17 days. If we're on set for 40 days, maybe more things would have accumulated and it could have been a higher pressured situation. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very interesting to see, just to see people kind of clashing with one another, with their personalities. And then you're working with these actors and most actors are more self-conscious than the normal individual that's on set. So you're having to balance that. And then you look over at some of your grips or some people that aren't getting along on the smaller scale. And I say smaller scale in the context of what they're doing is heavily important, but they're not projecting their own emotions or putting themselves out on a limb in front of the camera. So you have to quietly subdue the intolerance behind the camera that might take place here and there. And uh, while 
you know, bringing that emotion to the surface in whatever way you can. Now, clowning for me was an exciting project because it was the first six figure budget I was able to walk into and we shot and usually a 17 day film is going to be one location. We shot over 40 locations in those 17 days. So the film doesn't feel like a tiny movie at all. And we killed ourselves to make that happen. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. At the end of the day, working with a crew is a really exhilarating situation. Now, Clowning's a film where I wore so many hats and on the future projects, I'm looking forward to just being producer, writer, director and taking off all the other hats. Because I really, I, I washed up on shore by the time I was done editing the movie. And then, and then the pandemic happened. Yeah. So I was like killing yourself and then suddenly the real world issues start to take place and you wonder, you know, where you've been standing in a corner playing imaginary for so long. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's heavily worth it, obviously. <laughs> so um, when, when would there be a, a possible date for this movie to come out or, or what's the plan? Well, right now we've had some festivals inviting us to to put our movies into their their arena. So we're we're feeling that area out. I just did another movie called Outcry during the pandemic, and that one's being pushed straight to distributors. Um, and so clowning might piggyback off of that one, depending on what we do with these festival possibilities. Mm -hmm. it's, currently, it's Clowning is in a different arena where it was made independent with independent financing. And so it's trying to find the best route to that, that makes sense and hopefully gets the investors back their money the, the quickest. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, I'm open, you know, by the end of this year, we're going to be getting clowning out there into the world because nice. the festivals, all the festivals we're talking to are this year. So, so uh, another question I want to ask you was yeah. going back to when you made the decision to start making movies you said it was you started writing in 2006 you said yeah april 23rd 2006 was the day <laughs> i devoted my life to cinema so how did you come to the decision of like i'm going to start doing this what what had had to happen for you to come to that decision and just talk me through the journey of being a filmmaker in a world where outside of Los Angeles, people don't, don't normally think something like that is possible to, to do as a, you know, a, as a career. Well, the first eight years I was at it, there wasn't a whole lot of people that had my back. I want to say that first and foremost, you know, there wasn't, I did have a great supportive family. Obviously that's like the backbone to a lot of people's success, I think. Um, but being completely removed from the industry, having no connections in the industry at all. What took place for me on that specific day, just to go into this little tale, is, uh, gosh, you know, it's such an interesting little story. Certain amounts of chaos took place. And my friend and I found ourselves in an awkward position. Now, at the time, we were smoking weed pretty heavily, but we had stopped two or three days before this moment. And I, you know, I'm not sure if you've ever 
partaked in that situation for a long extended period of time. But when you stop, your dreams become more surreal. Um, and basically one day I woke up, I told my roommate, Danny Jansen, the dream I had, and he listened to the dream in its entirety and then re responded to me, you should make movies and something just clicked in my soul. And I just knew like that, that's right. That is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's interesting because my whole childhood, I would go to movies, two, two movies a week. My grandma, Betty would take me to the movies all the time. And I would see all these pictures. I would never pay attention to the credits. It's not something I paid attention to. It to me, it was like a dream state, but there was all these little factors where like, for instance, when I was young, my family would always play the, the game saying a line of dialogue around a table and everybody guesses what it's from. And I would say a line of dialogue that didn't exist. And eventually my family would start saying, oh, it's obviously from the Patrick show and stuff <laughs> like that. So this moment when my friend Danny said this to me, just so much came to the surface in my head. And I instantly on 423 started writing and, uh, that's all i had i just had notebook paper this was during the time of vhs tapes going into dvds but dvds weren't even that you know they're pretty new on the market at the time um at least new enough that you still had like a vhs collection so i was just watching tons of vhs tapes and started paying close attention and then somehow it accumulated over the years to getting a camera and making little films so um it, it was more like uh like a sudden realization that all that you had done in the past was kind of like leading up to you being able to make movies yeah i mean i've gone through some pretty crazy stuff in my life and so there is a lot of my past that just suddenly made sense it was like oh, okay i experienced all of these crazy situations uh because i was supposed to write you know, that's why I experienced it all not, you know, because before that it was like, why did I have to go through X, Y, and Z? And then suddenly out of nowhere, it just kind of came together and it was like, oh, okay. Like I was meant to have, you know, the amount of moments in like a 50 year old's life within 20 something years. And uh, then I can get it all out of my system as a writer. And, and writing became the best cleanse of, you know, any kind of feelings. Had you been writing before that or was that the first time you started writing? Yeah, not yeah. really. No, I, uh, no, I mean, I hated writing in school, you know, but that's like reports and stuff and stuff that they're forcing you to do at that point. So it makes sense. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I did do a lot of painting, like as far as there was, I was always interested in the arts. Yeah. So there was always little competitions going on here and there. And I would enter these little competitions growing up, but, uh, but yeah, never thought about filmmaking until that moment in Nelsonville, Ohio. That's where we were. Nice. So do you still keep in contact with your roommate? What was his name? Danny Jansen. He has a couple of kids. Every once in a while, I write him and thank him. <laughs> yeah, just every once in a while i probably thank them at least a dozen times at this by this point um but no we don't really i mean he's still back in ohio and he has i know i've seen pictures of him with his children and his wife and lovely family and have you ever encountered um 
uh, people asking you, oh, why, why do you want to be a filmmaker? Is, is there any money in that? Or, you know, situations like that back in Ohio? Well, you know, I think so. I mean, there would be moments where, where I would talk to people and you could just feel their doubt. You know, people usually aren't as forward, you know, and usually, you know, they're just kind of like, oh, cool, you're making films, but like, what do you want to do with your life? You know, but, but see, I love people. And so part of why I love making movies is I love the idea that I might put something out there and someone might feel this kind of sudden acceptance, this feeling of not being alone, you know? So that's what keeps driving me to want to keep writing and keep making things and investigating the human soul. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice um so um now that you've uh you know gone through all this um journey of writing and, and going to san francisco and becoming a, a university teacher and making your own uh writing your own uh movie clowning and, and having it produced what's something that you're looking forward uh to the future like what do you think is the future of filmmaking in your opinion? Because if, if anything uh, that we've learned from this past year is that the world is changing more and more to online and streaming is becoming more accepted. And, you know, the whole industry was kind of like shaken up this past year. What do you think is the future of storytelling and, and filmmaking in, in your opinion? Well, nothing will ever take movies away. You know, the, the, the movie theaters will always stick around. I know that that was kind of up to discussion a bit during the pandemic, but also uh, like 90 years ago when cinema was taking over, people used to say that theaters, you know, the little playhouses were, uh, were gonna fall by the wayside. Yes. You know, and, uh, you know, so, 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 so basically, you know, if you think about 90 years ago, people saying like, oh, cinema's taking over and no one's going to go see plays anymore. Well, nothing's going to change about the movie theater setting. I mean, I'm already going back to the movies, you know, and, and they've opened up and we sell out all the time still here in LA. Now those movies are at, 50% capacity or something like that. So they sell out a little faster, but as soon as they take the mask ordinance off, I mean, everything's going to open back up fully. Now the future of cinema and future storytelling is changing rapidly. And I would say cinema is going to be there. Television's going to be there, but I do think video games are going to start integrating into our lives and in, in, in a different way. Like when I was growing up, I'd play Mario Brothers and stuff like that. And you would never think of that as telling a story. But now you have games like Death Stranding and all these other games that have eight hours of cinematics. And like they're telling stories as well as cinema, but they're interactive. So the way that they're holding on to people's attention, if I'm not mistaken, I think Netflix is now putting money into video games. Amazon puts money into video games. You know, I believe in the future, these games, you're not going to have a PlayStation or an Xbox. I think it's just going to be on your streaming service and you could choose to play a video game or watch a movie 
and they're going to be side by side. Um, at least that's what it feels like it's heading towards for me. So one thing I'm doing for fun is, is making video games on the side of, uh, of, of working on movies. I've just been kind of teaching myself this very complex art form um, with programming and all these different facets. But really at the end of the day, it's like, you know, storytelling is storytelling. Whether you're reading a book, looking at a graphic novel or listening to a podcast, there isn't really a difference. It's us experiencing somebody else's foresight on something that they want to tell you about and so whether it's through a video game or through a cinema screen you know at the movie theaters or netflix or a fucking youtube wait i'm sorry should i not cuss yeah you could cuss (laughs) or 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 through a youtube channel you know some some blogger you know just like walking around holding their camera there's not a whole lot difference. You know, something that is different right now that I can tell. I've been making movies for 15 years. Around 10 years ago, people were less literate regarding the cut and regarding certain kinds of things that now, I mean, children are literate when it comes to dissolves and like the vernacular of cinema because of YouTube and because of all these things where we're taking in constant videos of whatever it is that they're watching we we're really inherently learning this cinematic vernacular so and inevitably it is going to alter for the best i believe you know say 90 years from now i can't even imagine how much more advanced we're going to be because when you look at the history of cinema the silent era was doing so much with the editorial side of the creation And then when sound came in, it started to push that side of it out because with the advent of sound and having to hide microphones, editing got slower and changed the pace. Mm -hmm. So I feel like now we're going to get into this day and age where things are going to begin to do whatever the heck we want. You know, I mean, we're really going to get to this new creative standpoint. I mean, especially nowadays, you can download half the software as you would need for anything for free. Yeah. That probably won't be forever, I'd imagine. And uh, you mentioned that now you're uh, taking up a hobby of creating uh, video games. I recently played uh, Lucy's Land, which is your uh, video game that you created. Um, if people are interested in, in playing this game, which is really amazing uh, for a first-time uh, game to be created by someone who's never done it before. I definitely had a, a good time playing it. Where could people go and, and play it if they're interested? Well, Lucy's Land is on itch.io. I think you might have some kind of link or something someplace, but at the same time, it's a first game. You know, it's uh, I'm going to make all of my games under the name Hiccup. So Hiccup is going to be, yeah, Hiccup is going to in the future here. Once I get a couple of games in, you'll be able to Google Hiccup and then you'll they'll pop up all over the place wherever they're distributed. Because now there's like nine or 10, you know, also there's no cap on distributing a video game. Like you try to distribute a movie, you have to break through a seal of approval. Mm-hmm. But video games, you could just distribute them 10, 12 different distributors instantly yourself, put your own price on it. Now you have to have your audience and people have to check it out, you know, and be interested, but um, it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I, I take great interest in video games because, uh, 
you know, it's, it's like you were saying, it's, it's storytelling. And, um, I wanted to ask you a couple more last questions. Um, if you had to, uh, talk to your younger self, let's say you were talking to, uh, Patrick back in April 23rd of 2006 and you, and you had to tell him a piece of advice, um, or maybe even some fundamental things that kind of like helped you along your journey. Uh, what, what, what would you tell this younger self? So if I was, if I had a few things I would say to my younger self from April 23rd, 2006, it would be one read more fiction. You know, it's always great to keep reading Warner Herzog. He says it constantly read, 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 read. You're never going to be good at filmmaking if you don't read. Um, and then two, I would tell my younger self, you don't need to identify as what you want to be. We're multifaceted. We are so many things. You know, I love skateboarding when I was young and still skate every day now. But there was years I stopped skating because I was a filmmaker. And that's what I was, you know, I think it's important to understand that, especially in our day and age where there's so much, there's so many interesting things for us to dive into. We have an infinite amount of time. I think people get caught up on the idea that we don't have that much time when really there's a lot of time in a day. If you just take a deep breath, split it up accordingly. I have a little work schedule on my wall here that breaks down every couple of hours throughout the day. And it goes between filmmaking, making video games, skateboarding. And so, you know, that wasn't how I used to live. You know, I used to be very strict and, and, and I have tattoos, but Stanley Kubrick didn't have tattoos. You know, there was things that I felt separate for, from all these filmmakers for a long period of time. And then now I realize so strongly that we're meant to be individualistic. Mm -hmm. So be okay with that sooner. Yeah. Nice. I, I really like that. Yeah. Wow. Um, and um, if there's anybody listening or watching right now who is interested in learning more about who Patrick is or, or more interested in your work or anything regarding you, where could they find you? Um, where could they go? Well, you can follow me on Instagram at PM Lipscomb. And, uh, you know, if you DM me, I, I, I would definitely return the, you know, I love talking to new people. I have a Facebook, but I'm never on it. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's really, I think through the Instagram, I might make a YouTube channel under the name hiccup. Yeah. And talk about, yeah. And talk about filmmaking and video game creation because it's been interesting diving into making games and I kind of want to document the whole process of it, but yeah. I also want to keep talking about filmmaking, you know, so I want to try to build an audience where it's film and games and skateboarders and yeah, just, just put it all together and just talk about all of it and not, not draw a line in the sand and pretend that we need to strive for an Oscar when you could just strive to feel complete. Yeah. Nice. Wow. And uh, is there any last words you'd like to uh, say to uh, the people watching? Well, I say you guys are real smart to be listening to Carlos and his podcast. That's that's for darn sure. You know, he, uh, he's definitely bringing some good people together here. So, uh, you know, 
my 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 big my big final words would be um you're good enough being who you are you have to remember that there's nothing more you need to do to be better just be honest to everyone around yourself and then always live your life by a very specific rule that i live mine by and that is you have to navigate from where you are not from where you wish to be and that was something my dad told me and I believe it comes from some Buddhist law or something like that. But he would say it to me all the time when I was young. And that's why I've made three features and 35 short films. Uh, probably, I, I would think, because he'd always say, you have to complete your projects, you know, navigate from where you are, not from where you wish to be. And so I guess that's like taking, uh, you know, one step a day, you know. And then a new little note that I have posted over here says, never have a 0% day. Even if all you do is 1% of work, never have one day. Don't let a day go by that you don't do anything. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app and get stories like these every time. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by either sharing or viewing the podcast on Apple Podcast. It will help grow the podcast and make future episodes that much better. If you have any questions for me or my guest, head on over to my Instagram, Carlos J. Cuadros. That's C-A-R-L-O-S-J-C-U-A-D-R-O-S. And ask away. If you would like to support this show, please consider sending a donation to Carlos J. Cuadros on Cash App. Thanks for watching and thanks for listening.